Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's uh, Tuesday <coughs> afternoon, and I'm going to do my second Abe Gluck podcast. I don't mean that to sound funny. It's got a context. Uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, Abe Gluck, one of our best friends of this podcast, uh, was mentioning to me since she was around the corner, asked a very intelligent question, which is, as I said last time, why is it that Talmud Torah became the glue, Lehman Torah became the glue that held the Jews together, and uh, and the only one, uh, which is a good question to ask on Shavuos, because it wouldn't be a, a Jewish people without the Torah, even though I hate to, you know, when I say that, it sounds like so, you know, uh, sugary, but he means that, you know, is, is a historical sense, and he was asking historical question. Now, you can always give a uh, mystical answer that that's the will of God. Okay, but if you want a historical answer, what's the causality? Can a case be made for it? Then why Lima the Torah as opposed to anything else? What about mitzvahs? The Shemiras HaMitzvahs is not necessarily kept the Jews going for all these reasons. It's, you know, By that I mean in those communities where they dropped the learning part and they just had the mitzvahs part, didn't take too long till the mitzvahs fell away also. So it's a very good question. And I gave the answer that I thought of, and he challenged me on that, which is a good thing. Blowback is good when it's uh, when it's to the point. Sometimes you get blowback from people for silly reasons or whatever. Or sometimes chassidim who say something they don't like about the rabbi. But the, the you know, zachlich, you know, intellectual blowback is a good point. He asked me a question. And I wanted to think about it a little bit. And that is, what about other things? Hasidus, whatever, this and the other. You know, why has, has the Limanat Torah been the only thing held together? Why haven't other phenomena, which are from? We're not talking about non-from phenomena. And so, like I said before, I was thinking about it in the midst of the other hundred balls I'm juggling, still working on the Israel trip and whatever. And uh, this is what I wanted to say, especially in the week before she was. And that's as follows. Uh... Speaking historically, um, at least the way the from Jews understand history, uh, there's something, uh, when you say Limana Torah, uh, and we talk about Talmud Torah and all that, what we really mean is Limana Gemara, the Talmud Babli, Gemara, 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 as they call it. Right? That's what you mean. You're not talking about Limana Chumash, and you're talking about Limana Gemara. And the vitality, the vibrancy, has been associated in those communities, whether you like it or not. You know, some people think it's a turn-off, so it's a turn-off. Turn-on. Those communities where the Talmud studied, the Babylonian Talmud studied, to be exact. Yushalmi never got much play, as we all know. I don't say that's right, but no, that's what happened. The Tosefta never got much play. The Michal de Zifron Sivri never got much play. Nobody says they're, they're not Omdi Marum Shalom, but, you know, they're not studying Yeshivas, so to speak. So, what you're really saying is, why is the ta- the study of the Talmud Bavli been the glue, you know, to held everything together? Which is a good question. And uh, what about other things he said? You know, like Hasidus, like other movements within Judaism, and there have been others. Uh, and 
here's the point. Speaking historically, it's obvious after you hear it, but you know it's not so simple to get to it. I don't know if you know this. Um, what's unusual about the Gemara? The answer is, or the writings of the Chazal, the writings of Tanaim Amorim. The answer is that somehow or other, we don't know how, somehow or other, they became universally accepted long ago. Uh, we don't know how. I'm talking as a historian. We have a pretty good idea, a fair idea, not a pretty good idea, just a fair idea of how the Talmud, especially the Talmud Bobby, came to be made. There are theories about it. Hoffman has some, Halevi and Dorsa Shunma has some. Many other scholars have come up with their own, from and not from, mostly not from, academic. But we don't have anything hard and fast. I just want you to know that. We have a couple of Misoras, but that's it. And they're a little shaky and so forth. Like I mentioned the other day, I intend to do in my show, hopefully, the Igar Shriagun, because he's like the most reliable on these sorts of things. But it's not so clear by him either. Anyway, that's goof what makes him reliable, by the way. Anyhow, the thing's like this. It never happened that the Jewish people all assembled in some kind of constitutional convention around the year 500, 600, 700, and said, we hereby adopt the Talmud, the Talmud Bavli, the writings of Tanim Marim as a collective, as the official documents of supreme authority within Judaism. But in effect, that's what happened. In other words, we didn't have it in a nice, neat way that they just described. That's how the United States Constitution, for example, was adopted. Usually in other countries, that's how it's adopted. Such a thing never happened. In spite of that, in the 500s, the 600s, maybe the 700s, it happened that wherever Jewish communities were, and you know that they were scattered all over the place, I always say over and over again, there was no country, there was no church, there was no geographical contiguity. Somehow or other, this notion that I just said before, that this new book that was recently published in Babylonia, which could be very far away from where you live, uh, is now the official text, so to speak, of Judaism. It's where you go to find out what to do, what not to do. It's where you go to find out what God wants. You don't go to the Tanakh, you go to the Gemara to tell you what the Tanakh means. You know, that way of looking at it, okay? In the Chumash, it says, you go to the Gemara to say, it means Mammon, so forth and so on. Okay, now, uh, you know, in Chumash, it says, you go to the Gemara to see what's the definition of Malacha, like that. Now, somehow or other, it happened. It never happened again. So, any movement that arose within Judaism and there certainly have been those, that was religious in nature, intellectually religious in nature, uh, seeking God to be frank, and things like that, didn't spread. They always had like a local character. And they were there with a specific place and a specific time. Think, for example, of um, philosophy, which was uh, medieval philosophy which was certainly used by the Rambam, the Chavis al and those kind of people to try to understand God better, to get to God better. Now, they knew the Gemara. I don't have to tell you that. The Rambam, for example. But the Gemara wasn't enough. Gemara plus. Now, um, it's okay with me. 
you know, these are great people, it was not in this passion. The, the, the Rambam and people like him, again, the Kuzri, all that group, they lived in a specific time and place, an intellectual environment, uh, which didn't affect other communities. It's notorious that while the Rambam was plugging away with the philosophy, at the same time, in northern France, the Balitos and the other thing were, were, were super yeshivish and not interested in any of that kind of stuff. Never hit them. You see, when the Hasidic movement in more modern times, which is much bigger, swept through Eastern Europe, it didn't go to Western Europe. And it certainly didn't go to the Spartan. It was big, but it was geographic specific. Uh, and that's the way it remains today. There are, there's a great article. Uh, years ago, I remember saw it from Professor Isidore Tversky from Harvard. Yitzhak Tversky. He's the son of the Rabbi Salvation. He was the big uh, history professor there. Long, I, I knew him a little bit. He was a Talmud Chacham. Somebody called him Talmud Rav, you know. Anyway, Talmud Rebbe. Anyhow, I remember he, and he was big into Maimonides. My goodness, he wrote endlessly on the subject. And he had an article where it was, I forget the name of it, but it was Torah Plus. No, it was those people for whom learning itself wasn't sufficient. They needed something else in addition. I remind you, we're talking about from people, so in addition, not in place of. So philosophy would be an example. Kabbalah is an example. Mysticism. Those people who in the Kabbalah uh, did it in addition to Gemara. The guys, there were those that did it instead of the Gemara. They didn't turn out so great. Right? That's always been a problem. But I'm talking to ones who did it in addition to the Gemara. So in other words, learning Gemara itself was dry. If you had the Kabbalah to it, Oh, but something was vital and vibrant to them. To them. Okay? But to them is the key point. Kabbalah has not, the intense study of Kabbalah has certainly not spread across the Jewish people. It never did. It spread in parts. Uh, today it has an interesting, you know, uh, trickle situation. You know, some areas more, some less. To all these things you add to the Gemara, the Talmud Babli, have been add-ons that basically you know, so to speak, take it or leave it. You know, some are into it, some are not into it. And these reflect the fact that when they popped up in Jewish history, it was in the Middle Ages or afterwards, in other words, the last 2,000 years, approximately, or 1,500 years. And by that time, the Jewish people were scattered all over the place. And not only were physically apart, excuse me, I have a burp, not only physically apart, but culturally apart. There's a big difference between the Polish Eden on the one hand, and say the Egyptian Jews or the Yemenite Jews on the other. It just is. There's a big Jews between the Moroccans on the one hand and the Yekas. Yeah, it just is. It always was. So the Jews developed in a wide variety of cultural contexts, and what appealed or got hot in one place, just as a matter of history, we know, did not spread to the other place because they were in different communities. The only exception to that is the Talmud Bavli and I'll say, you know, in in a broader sense, the broader Talmud, you know, all the Chazals, the the Babli Shaman, Chol Tzivri, and so forth. Mainly, honestly speaking, is the Talmud Babli, and I guess the Mishnah. That spread everywhere. Now, because that happened early in the Middle Ages, and again, nobody knows exactly how it happened, and the Karaites are obviously a reaction to that. There were these are Jews in different places who didn't like the spread of this. 
it's a fascinating question. I always say in my class, we know what the train looked like going in the tunnel. We know what the train looked like going out of the tunnel. We don't know what happened in the tunnel. When the train went into the tunnel, there was no Gomorrah. When the train came out of the tunnel, there was a Gomorrah. How did it happen? We don't know. Okay? That got accepted everywhere. The definition of Jewish means that you um, accept the, uh, the, the Gomorrah. Uh, that's the big fight between the Rabbinites and the Karaites. The Rabbinites won in the overwhelming majority. So that's a one-time deal. After that, it was physically impossible and basically, how should I put it, organizationally and otherwise impossible for any one cheetah. I don't care how firm it is. You could be the biggest chassan in the world. It didn't spread everywhere. You understand? Know and it does until today. And you can't say because you're not a chassid, you're not from. Or vice versa or something like that. You can't say because you're not a makobal, you're not from. Or because you're not a Maimonidean philosopher, you're not from. Or because you're not a Yisrael Salant or a Musa or a freak or something like that, you're not from. Not true. You see? Because all these things were time-specific. The Muslim movement, even though I shouldn't put it in the same category as the others, but nevertheless was very extremely specific to a small group in Lithuania in the you know, 1800s and 1900s, and that's it. It didn't spread everywhere. So that's the reason why they could never serve as glues, because of the geographical and cultural differences. The Rambam, very interestingly, does make this point. If you take the trouble to read his intro to the Mishnah Torah, at the end, um, I told you before, the Rambam's portrayal of the history of the Torah Shabbat is extremely simplistic. All you have to do is just read it next to the Shurigon. But he, but on the other hand, it's got a lot of good points. And at the end, I'm looking over here, and the Rambam, after saying the Ravina Ravashi wrote the Gemara, basically, as he says, he makes the following point. Nimsa Ravina Ravashi Bechavreim, the Rambam says, Sof Gedoli Chachmi Yisrael Hamatikin Tarsh Vapet. This is the last generation of the Chachmi Yisrael, who, uh, to use uh, clear terminology, who had universal authority. Matikin, they were the transmitters of the Tarsh Vapet. And that's the last generation that made Gezeris. Today we're not allowed to make Gezeris. His Kinu Takonis, their latest generation that made Takonis, we don't have the right to make Takonis today. I'm talking about Klai Yisrael wise. Right? Van Higum and Hagos, they're the last ones who made Minhagum that apply to whole Klai Yisrael. Nobody has the right to make a Minhagum nowadays like that. You can have local Takonis, you can even have local Chvez Gezeris if you want to call them that. You can have local Minhagum, but they didn't spread anywhere. Now listen what the Rambam says. They were the last sof gedoli chachmi yisrael matikin torshu alpeh shagazu gzeros hiskinu takonos hinhigum in hagos upashtu gzerosam v'takonosam in hagosam v'chol yisrael v'chol makom smosh v'sein. To the Rambam sees, I mean it's obvious, you know, that the what you and I call the Tanam Amorim <coughs> as a group, that's the only group that their rulings and even customs <coughs> spreads throughout Kol Kol Yisrael. And if you know this, if you take a look at the law codes, there are a lot. It's you know, there are a lot of um, times in the Gemara, for example, that you know some rabbi had a certain hanhaga, and somehow or other becomes a din, you know, because he did it. So we understand they're telling you his minik, so that's what we do. <clears throat> I think a is like that, right? Didn't he say only go dalamas or something, you know, or uh, tasty and so forth? That was his minik. It became a din. 
as it were. The Achar Basin shall Ravashi Shechibar Talmud Gmar be made beno. And after the generation of Ravashi or so or his son, Nispazu Yisrael Bechol Arotzos Pizu Yosser. The diaspora got really thick. The Jews spread Pizu Yosser, an extreme distance from each other. The Gila Kitzavos Le'im Rechokim. And Jews went all over the place. So it was no longer a situation where you basically have almost all the Jews living in Israel and in Babel and the surrounding areas. Now that's not exactly historically accurate, but it's it's close enough. That as the Middle Ages proceeded, Jews went far all over the place. And and a lot of wars popped up all over the world. And the roads got clogged with wars. Meaning, life became such in the Middle Ages that you couldn't travel from one area to the other. You couldn't go, for example, from Christendom to the Islam world and back and forth in places like that. And therefore learning went down. And therefore learning is constantly and he has a whole thing about how um, the quality of learning went down. I won't go into that. But then he goes on to say, but he's making my point. The whole based in Sha'amad Akharatama Bakom Dino Gazar Akhartaman and any other basin post Chazal after the Tanamaran, who no matter how big a Tamchokham this later basin was, the Gazar or Hiskin or Hidiglov named Dinoso, um Dinus Rabbus, even if they were able to issue rulings that applied to their Medina, they had that kind of power. Olum de Medinas Rabbus, or more than one Medina. Medinas Rabbus. Here he's obviously referring to the Gonim in Babylonia, who in the heyday of their uh, of authority, which wasn't that long, their uh, rulings were pretty strong in, in a number of provinces. But even so, Lo Pashtu It didn't get across all Kalisrael, because they were after the Tanaim. And the Rama said because of historic reasons. Because they live far apart and communications were lousy. Plus, whichever basin it was, at the end of the day, it was not a Sanhedrin, no matter how chashub this basin was. Basin Sholosim Dini Yechidim, U Basin Agol Shoshim Bechad Batal, Mikam Ashonim Kamachir Atalan, and Sanhedrin went out of business long ago. Lafikoch ain't kofin anche Medina Zu, Lono Kimhenegam Medina Cheres. So you can't make, you can't, when he says you can't make people in another Medina uh, listen, he means that literally. Right? Literally. You cannot make, the, nobody has that power. No one has that power. Wherever it did. I told the other day, speaking in the Zionism, until they started the Zionist Congress, there never even was an attempt, even a fake attempt, to bring to all the Jews together under one roof and say, we now represent the Jewish people. Or all the gedolim, if you want. Or perhaps, uh, you know, all the big rabbis or something like that. Uh, there never was such a thing. The most you had was the Vada Baratzas, and that was, uh, uh, uh. but certainly it didn't apply anywhere else outside the Baratzas of Poland. Lafikach, ain't kofin anchi medina zulinakim dina cheres. Therefore, you cannot compel, meaning it's not physically possible, and therefore it's never become part of our culture. That, you know, a, a, a minute that popped up here, or a din that popped up here, for example, off the top of my head, the Cherem Ben Gershon came married two wives. Everybody knows it. it applied to where it applied. It wasn't accepted everywhere. 
You couldn't make them. You can't tell one basin, hey, they made a chimera over there, you have to make it over here. The basin here can say this, we don't have to do nothing. We do whatever we feel right. Not what somebody else thinks right. Maybe in Ashkenaz they feel the way. We don't feel that way like that. Okay? And he says that we no longer have uh you know this kind of authority, blah blah blah. Udvarm, I'm skipping Udvarm Halolo, Bedinim Xeris Takonis Minhogos, Shinaschacha Khibra Talmud. And anything that's post-Talmudic, uh, you don't force somebody to accept it. You can only try to persuade them through your argumentation. I will call Dwarm Shabbat Talmud Bavli, Chayav and call Yisrael Olachis Mahan, but Kovin is here, Linakom, how will compel everybody to follow what it says in Talmud Bavli. However, the call Osam Advarm, Hiskim, Olayim, call Yisrael. Because it got the Haskama of Kal Yisrael. Now, um, I don't know what he means by that, but he's right. <laughs> when I say I don't know what he means by that, how did it get the haskam of Kali Yisrael? That sounds like there's some kind of a meeting where they took a vote, where everybody, uh, you know, uh, what's it called, you know, got online and, uh, and you know, pressed their button that way. Of course, none of that happened. But it happened, <laughs> right? So the question Dave Gluck was raising is a good question, but it has to be understood against this very basic historic fact, which is that in some manner the Talmud Bavli got out there and got universal acceptance. Ad Kedekach, that anyone who didn't go along, so knows it wasn't really universal acceptance, but it got to be universal acceptance in the degree that anyone who didn't go along was ostracized, as they called the Karaites. So, by the time the process of the fights were over, what you and I call Klal Yisrael became defined as those of the Jews who accepted Talmud Bavli in the way the Ram just described it. Therefore, that became the high culture. Wherever you are, they're learning Gemara. Or they're aspiring to. You understand? There was no such thing as a place where they say, we're anti-Gemara. didn't exist. Unless it was a carry. But then you, the carriers were ostracized and put in the harem and all that. And they really considered a different religion. So if you're Jewish... For 1500 years now or so, the definition of the Jewish high culture can only be the Gemara because there's nothing else that people agree with. I mean, you say the Tanakh, okay, that's true. But you know, the Tanakh is slim pickings. There's not much you can take out of that. The Gemara, on the other hand, is a notion and it's a whole living system that you can take out of, right? So that would be my answer to the question that why is it the Limana Torah? It been the only glue. The only factor we all have in common which has any kind of oomph to it is the uh, is the Gemara. Now again, we do all have the same calendar, but what do you what do you do with that? You see what I'm saying? We do all have the same Tershviksav, but you can see a function I'm gonna say something that sounds funny, a function of the emphasis when the Talmud Bavli, which obviously arose, implied a degrading or a lack of attention to a church of itself. It's not a good thing, but that's what happened. I mean, honestly speaking, we're going to have the Haftorah of Chavakuk. Raise your hand if you ever open a red Sefer Chavakuk. You see what I'm saying? So, and even those Mepharshim, that spread among Claudius Yisrael, 
everywhere and uh, attained an authority or, or something like that were the ones that connected what it says in the, in the Chumash on the one hand to what it says in the Gemara on the other hand. Number Evidence number one, I named Rashi. Rashi on the Chumash, which really spread everywhere. Okay, Rashi spread everywhere. I don't want to say he has the authority of the Gemara, obviously, but it spread everywhere. Was because all he's doing is just sharing with you 95% of the time, you know, Gemaras, you see? Chazals. Uh, he also has Midrash, you know, but, but Chazals. And somebody like Ramban, on the other hand, is always working within that context. And what you and I call the famous Mepharshim are working within that context. That's why even Ezra is always like, eh, 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 funny, funny. It's not clear. But uh, there are no other... So you have a calendar, you have a Torah and you have a prayer book, more or less. Those did not prove uh, 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 vibrant. What do I do with the fact that we all have the same prayer book? It just means we recite the same prayers. What do I do with the fact that we have a calendar in common? It means we all celebrate the holiday on the same day. I'm not undervaluing that, but I'm not overvaluing it either. I can't make nothing out of, can't make something out of that uh, coincidence, literally coincidence. You see, the, the Tanakh, possibly, you know, the Christians built something out of the Tanakh. That's not how the Jews developed. Since the claim of authority of the Talmud Bavli is it represents the Torah Shabbat Peh, or the best you can get at it. So that already very early came to be seen as, you know, that's if you really want to know what the Chumash really means. That's how it went. You want what the Chumash really means. And scholars of Nach were always a few. You know, people complain about it, this and that and the other. You know, I'm not saying that they're not wrong to complain about it, but nevertheless, you know and I know that a Ventura is not somebody who knows Tanakh necessarily, but a Ventura better be somebody who knows something in Gemara, otherwise you wouldn't call him a Ventura. Right? So, I would say this historical circumstance that the Talmud Bavli, and because of the Talmud Bavli, which slept along also the other ones called Talmud Bavli, quotes them, the, the Tosefta, the, 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 you know, Michalta and so forth, Talmud because it um, was able to be in his Pashit, in this unusual way, uh, became the only glue. Because that's not subject to different centuries. And it's not subject to different cultures. It's not a word that it's Ashkenaz, not Sephard, or Eastern European, not Western European, or Italian and not Turkish. It applies to everybody. There is, other than the other, other than the calendar, the, the, the prayer book, and the, um, and the Tanakh, there's nothing else that's a common uh, property of all the groups, no matter where they are. And of all of them, you know, as I said before, it's no comparison. The Gemara is like an ocean uh, compared to them. And it obviously attracted uh, that kind of a scholarship, especially based on its authority claim, which was accepted, that this is basically the Torah, basically, I say, the Torah Shabbat basically. So, um, since no other group, no other text or set of texts or cultures are Minhagim, I don't care how big the Hasidic Rebbe is. I don't care how big the Makubal is. I don't care how big the, the philosopher is. And, you know, I, that's what comes to my mind. Uh, there may be other things like that. Whatever they are, they couldn't they couldn't compare to that. And therefore, it couldn't serve as a glue. So, uh, we do not find that when Jews 
throughout the centuries go from one place to the other, they immediately start talking in Chavakuk. Because when they could, it's not, it's not what happens. You see? They start talking about Zechariah, Zephaniah, Eov. They should. It'd be a wonderful world if that happened. Never played out that way. That's what comes to my mind as we are about to enter uh, Shabuos. And uh, I think that's a historical explanation for it. At least kach nearly. Anyway, uh, I'm running by him. And uh, it's a very good question to raise on, um, on Shavuos, which is Man Matan uh, Torosenu. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.